Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics dedicated Blue Jackets podcast here in Portsmouth with you on a beautiful, beautiful Thursday afternoon. Blue Jackets, Coyotes tonight. Blue Jackets got to get out of this uh, early season funk if this is a funk. I hope this isn't the reality of the the way the whole thing's going to go. Four, eight, and four they are. Taking on some water early. Lots of things to get to. I'm sure you you all have lots of questions. Um, I've got lots of opinions and some answers. I'll try to make clear the difference between the two. Um, yeah, uh, if you want to join us, certainly step to the stage, have your question ready to go, or you can you can uh, post it in the the chat section. I see a few in there already. Keep them coming. A uh, story posted today on the athletic site about Johnny Gaudreau's early season struggles. One, five, six through 16 games. He's got, if you, if you had Eric Goodbranson with more points than Johnny Dubinsky, Johnny, Johnny Gaudreau at this point, then you have, uh, you've done pretty well for yourself. Although I don't know what you were thinking, but you, you turned out to be right. Goodbranson's got more points than Gaudreau at this point, which, which paints the picture of, of how uh, Johnny has struggled early on. He spoke uh, earlier this week. The story uh, reflects his quotes. Curious what you think about him, how to get him going. He's on the third line. I get it. you got to do something if you're not getting first-line production. Um, but I'll be curious to see what they look like tonight against the Coyotes. Uh, really disappointing game Tuesday against the Penguins. Like, uh, you know, it, it to me, it's not if they won or they lost because wins and losses in the NHL can be fleeting. I don't think anybody thinks this is a, a playoff team or a Stanley Cup contender by any means. So it's more about, wh- you know, what this team looks like. And, and I didn't think they played particularly hard. I didn't think they played the right way. I was shocked at what a, what a, Walk in the woods type game it was for the uh, for the peng- having the penguins in town. Hell, the game didn't even sell out. These games used to sell out with no problems. Um, it, I don't think there was a scrum until the second period. The Blue Jackets had fourteen hits the entire sixty minutes. I like, you know, it, don't tell me they had the puck so they weren't hitting it. It was not that. Um. There's some things that could be there every night. There's things that are up to you if they're there every night. You know, you can't just snap your fingers and score a goal every night. You can't just make other things happen. You can show up. And I I felt like they played in awe of the Penguins. I felt like they it just felt like any other game. And I don't know if that's because there's so many people New to the organization who don't recognize what these games have meant. I, I don't really care if you think it's a rivalry or not. The games have always been played at a at a pretty high pitch. Um, and I thought that was really, really embarrassingly missing on Tuesday. And that I put that on the home team. I do. Uh, these games should mean more to them than they do to Pittsburgh. And that wasn't in any way clear. Crosby had the puck all night. Blue Jackets, like I said, had 14 hits, none of them on Crosby. Think about that. Um, there are some good stories with this team. There are. I think Fantilli's their best forward. That's kind of a mixed bag, if you really, because he shouldn't be, but but it's a good sign, I guess, that he is. He's a hell of a player. You've got a good one, Columbus. Marchenko's been really good. Voronkov has been really good. I think Sean Corrali's been fantastic. But Branson's been fantastic, really. Um, 
given each of their roles. I think one of the things we're seeing with this team, and I, I've, I, it's become more clear to me uh, recently, you need grown-ass men to win tough games in the NHL. It's like that in every sport. That's NFL, NBA, you name it. And the Blue Jackets have those guys, but a lot of those guys play at the bottom of the lineup. I just mentioned Corrali and Goodbranson, fourth line center, third pair defenseman. They need more jam at the top. I don't mean fighting. I don't mean uh, penalty minutes. I don't mean that stuff. They need more get behind me boys type of personalities at the top of the lineup. And it may be until some of the younger players grow into that, uh, that they are lacking that. But you really see it in big games and big moments. Who's going to step forward? Um, so uh, step to the stage if you want to ask a question. Again, you can leave a text message. We'll start in the in the text room. Um, and uh, we'll try to get through as many as we can. We'll go to about 2 o'clock here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Patrick D says, 1 in 10 in the last 11, last in the East and giving away players for free on waivers. Did I mention the Babcock embarrassment? How is Jarmo still employed? Um, well, Patrick, I, teams lose players on waivers. I don't think that is something that uh, looks poorly on the GM. Certainly the record isn't good, if, especially if you're uh, pretending that you're a playoff team. Um, I think we've all said that it's pretty clear that Yarmo is under more pressure now than he's ever been in Columbus. Uh, you all read the statement from ownership after the Babcock debacle. They have a new coach. I can't see them making a move in that direction. So yeah, it may be the time that uh, Yarmo is under the most pressure he has faced in Columbus. I think it's, I think it's still there. I think there's a reluctance uh, by ownership here to make a change in the middle of the season. That's not typically when GMs are are let go. If you're going to do that, you do it in the offseason. But it's not out of the question either. Yarmo got here at midseason, of course, uh, when John Davidson uh, made a move on Scott Housen. So um, Ryan D says, hey, Porty, thanks for the Johnny article. Good stuff. Is there any talk or concern his slump is anything off-ice related? Uh, I got no con- – I have no – no indication of that, Ryan. I, he was not asked point blank uh, if there's anything in his personal life that is affecting his play. He was asked if he's taking this uh, streak home with him at night, which players always say that they try not to do. He acknowledged that he is, that it's been that that bad. But he didn't in any way try to pass the buck and say there's stuff going on that has made it hard for me to, to concentrate on um, – on hockey. So I had no indication of that. Uh, thanks for the question. Eric S says the team looks poised to burn cylinders waivers exemption tonight. He has three goals in his last 81 games. Why doesn't he seem to be held to the same standard benching, getting sent to Cleveland as others? Well, Eric, you may recall that cylinder was benched, was scratched and was sent to Cleveland last year. Um, to speak to Pascal Vincent about, uh, Sillinger this year, he likes the way that he's playing. I don't think he bases everything on his offensive production. I can say I know that he doesn't, or he wouldn't be flattering the player uh, based on his production the first 16 games. Still doesn't have a goal. Um, he's playing center. He's he's uh, gaining valuable experience. I think he's been better defensively than than uh, some would have expected, and and maybe that's what's keeping him in the lineup. Uh, but they evaluate on more than just goals and points. Uh, and the other day, he said, uh, I think he used the phrase extremely well to describe how Sillinger was playing. I think the other thing that's at work here is you've, you've got to, I don't want to say uh, read into everything that Pascal Vincent says, but I think we're getting an indication here of how he's going to handle himself publicly. He's not going to rip players. He isn't. So he has benched people. He has scratched players and said, 
oh no, it's not because they're not playing well. It's nothing like that. Well, that, it is. And I mean, it is no matter how you want to, unless there's, there are two guys on a line that you have made plans to just rotate every other night. Anyways, I think you can make that argument, but you know, yeah, I mean, you don't have to bury a guy, but like, like a year check gets scratched for two games and goes to junior and everybody is told that he's, he's doing just great. Well, if he's doing just great, he'd still be in the lineup. So I think, uh, I think we're learning to sort of pull through words. Um, clearly there's an attempt to, to keep Sillinger's confidence high, especially the way that he went into a, uh, a bit of a black hole last year. They're trying to avoid that. It might be harder to avoid that the longer he goes and struggles offensively. But uh, as long as he keeps up the rest of his game, I think he's going to have a spot in the lineup. Uh, Daniel S. says, hello and thanks. With Line A back on the wing since his return, is the center experiment over on pause, or is he just easing back in? Um, I think we can say safely that it is on pause. I don't think anybody would say that it is over. Um, but I also think what happened, and this is what so often happens, is when Line A went down, Fantilli went to the middle, and you'd have to be crazy to move Fantilli out of the middle at this point. Um, the only concern, of course, is his face-offs. He's at like 42%. But that's going to get better as he gets smarter, stronger, and starts to get some of the calls in the face-off dot that the veterans do. Um, so I think what's what's occurred is that Fantilli has established himself in the middle. Cylinders look good as in Pascal Vincent's eyes in the middle. And then you've got Jenner and Corrali on the one and four. So, so they're okay there. Um, frankly, I don't think Line A was doing great at center. The team wasn't doing great with Line A at center. Um, so that's a move that makes sense to me. Um, thanks, Daniel. Uh, we're going to step to the stage momentarily. George M is waiting. Uh, so George M, be ready. Uh, Ryan V says, is the structure Vincent want to play leading to the clunky play or is it something else? Um, well, the system that he wants to play, I think there have been adjustments, players getting to that, um, making it making it a habit, making it routine, making it sort of the default mental um, approach. I don't think they're there yet. I think there will be good nights and bad nights with that. And I also think we're still learning what all of this is because when I watched that game in New York Sunday and they were outshot 17 to three in the third period, I don't know how you guys felt, but I spent most of the third period just wondering, um, when's the goal coming? Cause it sure felt like like New York was going to score there, no doubt about it. And sure enough, they did 11 seconds left. Um, so I think the system calls for them to defend the, the, the net front and the defensive zone and keep the play to the outside, let the goalie see the puck. I also think sometimes that leads to passivity, uh, especially when you're protecting a lead and guys tend to sag back. And you get what you got in New York. So I think they're still trying to iron that out. Um, playing smart, keeping the puck to the outside, but also not just, I mean, there are times where it looks like they're on a five on five penalty kill because they're, they're sagged back so much. Um, so that's how I would answer that, Ryan. Thanks for the uh, question. We're going to come back to the chat room here in a second. Uh, Let's go to the stage. Go to the stage. George. George. George M., you are on. Go ahead, please. Hey, Porty, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Loud and clear. Great. Thanks. Hey, hope you're well. Um, thanks for being on. Uh, just kind of wanted your take on, it seems to me, one of maybe the overarching problems this team has is the fact that, you know, Yarmo just seems to be really impatient. And every year he thinks, like, the team's going to win this year. They're going to be a playoff team this year instead of being able to take a step back and say, okay, you know, it's going to be a couple of years. Let's really do this in a, in a thoughtful, meaningful way. And would, would you say that's an accurate you know, assessment of what's happening right now with this team? 
I think it is in some, it is some way. And I think it uh, gets to what I've I've uh, sort of gone on about in the early going is this sort of one foot in and one foot back uh, approach. So, you know, go back two summers ago. This was a team that was full of promise, full of young players, but everyone accepted it was going to take some time. And then Johnny Gaudreau signed. And everybody started talking playoffs. Now, I'm not sure any GM in the league, in Yarmo's situation, I should say, would have been able to say, thanks, Johnny, we're not interested. Um, it kind of reminds me of the early days of the franchise when the Blue Jackets were offered Ray Whitney. And they... Ray Whitney was a really good player for them. He's a really good player, period. Borderline Hall of Famer. But he made them better than they should have been the first few years of the franchise. They didn't want to finish 22nd. They wanted to finish 29th, 30th. Um, But how do you say no to a Kevin Adams for Ray Whitney trade? It's a pretty good trade. How do you say no to Johnny Gaudreau? How do you say we're not ready for that yet? I always look at it like the couple that has the starter home and and gets a $8 million chandelier for the entryway. Not in this house. This house is not ready for that. This is not the house. The rest of the house has to be ready for that $8 million chandelier. And so there's that. This summer, I've never been able to confirm this. But I do believe Mike Babcock said no to them. I don't think he liked their blue line. Yarma went out and got Severson and uh, Provorov. And Mike Babcock said yes to them. Uh, I like the upgrades on the blue line because I think they were getting demoralized because it was so bad back there. But now you've got a situation where you're having trouble getting your check in the lineup where you're having, you know, players in Cleveland that probably deserve to be in Columbus. I don't know if you're stunting their growth, slowing their growth. I don't know what that, what that is, but I know what you're saying, George, and it's a, it's a really good question. I don't know that it's Yarmo uniquely. I think it's the situation for sure. There are other situations, though, where you can say that Yarmo's been incredibly patient. Emil Bremstrom was just yesterday sent to the, well, put on waivers again. He'll go to the minors if he clears today in about 45 minutes. Um, how many chances has Bremstrom had? How many chances does Bremstrom get? He was extremely patient, correctly so, with um, Alexander Texier. I think he showed great compassion there, empathy. Um, He has been patient, some would say to a fault, with letting the the forward and defenseman ranks get so crowded. Like, I don't think he, I think he's been extremely patient and not scratching either Peak or Bogfist. Sorry, waving them. Um, So I don't think it's just general... Uh, impatience by by Kekalina, but there are examples of that where I think because of the way this team has been built, it's kind of like a it feels like an like an odd animal in some sort of a evolutionary in between, where it's sort of got a flipper on this side that it's not sure what to do with. Over here's a hand. Um, it's it's like it's in between what it's going to be, and so it's not really that attractive right now because no one knows what it's supposed to look like. Nobody knows what it's going to look like, but I still think there's a lot of pieces here that you could really shape something interesting out of, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a a lengthy process. Uh, George, thanks for the question. I appreciate it. We'll go back to the chat room. If you want to ask a question on stage, please step to the stage queue. We'll try to get to you. Um, Let's see here. Next up, Sean G says inside information. Oh, are you offering it or are you asking it? Concerning KJ Cleveland assignment, new agent not coming back in exchange for Bemstrom. 
Any smoke fire here? Uh, PLD 2.0? No. I don't get the sense that there's that there's uh, anything like that going on. I mean, first of all, the, the Cleveland assignment is not related to his agent. Uh, I don't know that we know he's not coming back with Bemstrom. Bemstrom hasn't cleared yet. They don't have a roster spot available. Um, Johnson has gone to Cleveland and played his ass off by all accounts. What you saw with PLD was quite the opposite here in Columbus. Um, anyways, thanks for that, Sean. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Patrick D says against the Rangers, Jenner was on the ice for 38 seconds before the stoppage in 1938. If you need to take a timeout to give Jenner a breather, fine. Although I think he's fine after a 38 second shift. There's no doubt if the game is on the line, Jenner is taking that face off. He's one of the best in the NHL. PV pulled Jenner for a defensive zone face off with 22 seconds left to put in Corrali. It was one of 13 versus Trocek on face off for the night. How does that make any sense? Did anyone call out PV for how insanely stupid this move was? Um, well, I, I don't know that anyone called him out. To answer your question, I don't, I don't know that anyone didn't, but I, I didn't witness it. I don't have a problem with sending Crawley out for that face-off because I'd rather send him out if I couldn't put Jenner out. And if he's already out for 38 seconds and you've got 22 seconds left in regulation, at the end of the game, um, I'm going to go with Fresh. My second best face-off guy is Corrali. And Corrali's a gamer. I don't have a problem with it. I know what happened. I saw it too. Um, but I don't know that I leave Jenner out there for a full minute. The timeout's not a bad approach either. I get it. Um, I think coaches... Think about all of these things. What kind of message am I sending? If I take a time out here, am I giving the Rangers time uh, to, to get a breather as well? So, lots to consider there. Ryan V says, is Sillinger the player of his first year or the one ever since? I'm starting to worry about him. Um, he hasn't looked like the guy from the first year, since the first year. I don't know what it is. I don't know where the offensive chats, the the offensive spark has gone. The chances have have gone. Um, So that's a concern. It is a concern. Um, I think all these guys are so young that we're still not we still don't have good reads on what, what they're going to be when they are fully formed. I still have no idea what the hell Chinikov's going to be. There's a lot to like there. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, and I think that goes for a ton of these guys. So I put him in that boat too. But he may never score 16 goals again, not in a season. Um, anyways. Ron J says, I saw a new stat from Stathletes. Johnny G is seventh in the NHL in primary scoring chance assists. Perhaps bad luck slash guys not finishing contributing to a slow start. Yeah, it all works together. Um, sure. I would guess that much of his damage in that category was done early in the season. I thought he was okay and sneak bit early. I think he's been invisible lately. Even in games right after he's been benched or dropped to the third line where you would be expecting a response. Um, so that's my thing. I think, you know, for a guy like that, um, analytics are, are half the story. The energy that he typically brings uh, to games uh, is such a big part of his game, and that has been 
missing. It was, of course, really emphasized on Tuesday when the Penguins' best players were their best players. Crosby, Carlson, Gunsel scored. Crosby has a hat trick. And you look at the Blue Jackets bench and their best players, line A, Gaudreau didn't have great games. Line A still gets a bit of a curve because of his concussion absence for about three weeks. He's still feeling his way back into this. But it's hard to see them, the Blue Jackets, winning a lot of games if the other team's best players are so clearly the better players. Um, We're going to go back to the stage in a minute and talk to William R. So William, be ready. Thomas S. says, big picture, where do the Jackets go from here? Stay with the current plan and management and see how this year plays out. Fire everyone and let a new front office determine a new plan. If it's the latter, will they have to wait to pivot until the cap increases? So Thomas is really moving some earth here. Um, so, I, you know, Thomas, let's get to your first point here. Stay with the current plan and management and see how the year plays out. What I would like to see articulated is a, a real is a, a plan. Um I think they're in. They're they're one foot in, one foot out, and they they uh, they push back against that. Of course, Pascal Vincent has taken the long road, but he also says, "No, no, no! I want to make the playoffs." And then playoffs. Um, the GM says, "I want to make the playoffs." Hey, just get in. Look what Florida did last year. I think you also have to be a bit realistic, and I think. When you're this young, so much of what you do is geared toward the future. And so make the future the best that it can be if you if you have so little control over the present. Um, I, I don't think it's beneath David Yurichek to go to Cleveland. I don't. But I don't understand why he plays 10 games here and then you send him to Cleveland. I don't understand why he's told to get a place here and then get sent to Cleveland. I mean, if you if you don't think he's ready for the NHL, that he shouldn't be here. Period. If you think he's ready for the NHL, then he's ready for the NHL. Let's go. Bam. Um, we know who Andrew Peake is. We know who Bookfist is. You drafted this kid in the top ten. Get him out there. Um, if you think Johnson's development is best suited to him being in the American Hockey League, then that's where he should be. But it's hard for me to imagine that a guy that had 16 goals and 40 points as a rookie it can't play in the league the next year. So if you're if you're trying to win games today short term and Johnson's struggling, then you make a move. If this is about the big picture, then Ken Johnson works his way through this at the NHL level. I looked it up. The last player to score 40 goals or 40 points as a rookie and go to the AHL the next season. Now we're not talking performance. We're not talking uh, conditioning assignments and we're not talking um, to play during the 12-13 lockout when the NHL wasn't playing and those guys were eligible to play in the minors. We're talking about performance-based. The last guy I can find is Anthony Duclair in 2017. That's before he was with the Blue Jackets. So that's seven years ago. That's how rare this is that Ken Johnson would be playing in the minors after putting up 16 goals and 40 points as a rookie. I'm not sure what that means, how he's benefiting from it. He's playing center, which if you tell me that he's going there to play center for three months and then he's coming back, okay, let's do this. But the plan, the plan has to be, has to be clear and it has to make a ton of sense. And this club keeps, will tell anybody that they want to make the playoffs this year. Um, And they're picking lineups. Like, that's the goal. 
and uh, good luck to them. Good luck to them in, in that uh, in adventure. Um, okay, I said we go back to the stage. We will do that. Uh, William R., you are on the Front of Nationwide podcast. Go ahead, please. Hey, what's going on, Portsy? Hope all's well, Not man. Much, Not doing well. Um, first off, I was at the Pens game the other night, and the Let's Go Pens chant was just... Yeah. I mean, it was demoralizing. Like, I... <laughs> It was it was so brutal. Um, and one thing that I think is also just demoralizing and is and maybe I just didn't notice it or you know gave the excuse of, hey, you know, a lot of injuries last year. But I feel like there's so many shifts where guys are just getting caught, you know, in our zone where it's, you know, they're a minute, minute 15 in. We try to chip it out to you know, the center of the ice. They immediately you know buzz right back into our zone. Um, and you know, I feel like it's even more so the case when we're dealing with the long change too. Yeah. Is it just an overall lack of control that we're having in these games or, or what is it? Because I don't know if I'm crazy, but I feel like we have guys just with tired legs, you know, every other shift, it seems, um, getting caught in the zone, but uh, appreciate the time, man. And hope you have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanks. And same to you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, listen, if you're, if you are the lesser team, you're in your zone a lot. That's just kind of what hockey is, and I've seen that a lot from them this year. The second period, as you've noted, they've had some truly ugly second periods with the long change. Um, yeah, I mean, if we said we shouldn't expect something and then be surprised when it happens, but I do recall before the season started saying there's a ton of talent here. They're better than they were last year, for sure. If they can stay healthy, they have, by the way, mostly Jack Roslovic out six weeks with an ankle. Otherwise, they're pretty healthy. Um, but there's a lot to get together here. And I think that's what this is. I mean, they've used 29 different line combinations at the start of games already this year through 16 games, 29 of them. I don't think any line has been together at the start of a game more than seven of the 16 games. Um, and let me look to see who that is, because I spent some quality time dorking out on these numbers. Um, yeah, so Gaudreau, Jenner, Marchenko has played together at the start of seven games out of 16. That's it. Um, that's the leader. 29 other combinations have been used. 29. That's a lot. Um, and it, I don't put that on. I mean, it is Vincent making the, the call, but I just think if you look at, at the number of forwards on this team that are not fully formed yet, Voronkov, starting to get a picture of who the player is, but not there yet. Fantilli, Marchenko, Sillinger, Texier. Uh, that's before uh, Chinikov joins the lineup. It's a lot of pieces to be mixing in. And if you don't know what they're going to be it or what they are, it's hard to get a grasp on what should work together. I think all of these guys are really inconsistent with their games. A lot of those guys that I just mentioned, some of them are, have really bright spots too, Fantilli, Marchenko especially, Baronkov. But they've started to get some traction here with 10, 11, 86, that, that line, Baronkov with with Fantilli and and uh, Marchenko. But otherwise, the lines have been, like, all over the place. Um, and that's that's not a coach's just whimsy. That is not sure what you've got, not sure what you can count on, uh, what is a predictable night in, night out. Even the, the back end has switched up quite a bit here. So with all of this volatility, I think you're going to see – you're going to see – things you don't see from teams that have been together for a long time. And all you got to do, like if you just watch Pittsburgh, some of the passing plays that they made, there's just an understanding of where everyone's going to be. Um, the Dallas power play is just awesome because, you know, there's so many of those guys that have been together. So many of those guys are so such veterans and they're always speaking the same language. And you see a lot of instances with Columbus where they're not, 
literally, but also figuratively speaking the same language. I think that's all about a, a young team learning a system, um, learning each other, learning what works and what doesn't work. And that's why I've expected this season to be pretty rocky at the start, because at least at the start, I think there's enough talent here where at some point this season, they're going to be one of the hottest teams in the league. They're going to have one of those stretches where they, they kind of figure it out a little bit. But I think it's going to take them a lot of time to get there. Um, because they've got a lot of growth that they've got to go through before they're there. And I think that's what you're probably seeing as much as anything. Um, so my question is, which of those young players is going to emerge as the leader that we're always talking about um, at needing at the top here? Which of those players is going to be the driver at the end of big games? Um, and that's exciting uh, to think that some of them may. They won't all, but some of them may. Um, Mallory F. We're going back to the chat room here. Mallory F. Says, do you think the lack of those quote, get behind me boys personalities at the top means that a guy like Patty can never fill that role or Zach, these are young men who are no longer inexperienced. Are they just who they are? What? Um, I think Wierenski can be that. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think, uh, I think Liney wants to be that more now than ever. Uh, but it takes time. I don't think Gaudreau is wired that way. I think Jenner has some of those attributes, but isn't exactly the uh, the skilled guy that can dominate a game with the skill. So there's candidates there, Mallory, but I don't I don't think it's, it comes naturally to enough guys here. They're a little short on that. Um, think about how much this team misses the Felino, Atkinson, Voracek. Um, Seth Jones. I think a really good sign is that Corrali and Good Branson are taking on much bigger, more prominent roles in that regard this year. Um, and Good Branson is one of the most respected guys in the league. So uh, let's go to Chris J. Chris J says, Question one. I noticed they lose a lot of picks. It says picks. I think it means pucks off their sticks. What causes this? Poor puck handling or stick handling? Or this just the nature of pressing and trying too much? I'd have to see examples of that. What I see more than anything are just um, passes to absolutely nowhere and nothing for no reason. No no amount of pressure put on the, the puck handler. The puck is just tossed away for no apparent reason. And those drive me crazy. The other thing, and this is absolutely a part of confidence, and I rant about this ad nauseum in the press box, is you see so many times, I see so many times, where a, a sharp, smart pass is made. And instead of just one-timing it, ripping it, the puck is gathered, held for a second, and then fired at the net. And that gathering time allows the goalie to move into positions such that the scoring chance has now evaporated. And I get it. If, if you're not a confident shooter, you don't want a puck that's on its edge. You don't want a puck that's bouncing. Uh, you want to make sure you get something off. And so you, you take all of the risk out of the situation. But you also take all of the, or not all of the, but most of the offensive opportunity with it. And there's probably three or four instances a night where you'll see a puck on the blade of a shooter. And if it's just off, which it is with the best teams, whoa, and it's a goal. Or it's a shot that the goalie fights, then now there's a rebound. Uh, if it's gathered and aimed and shot in the, just that little bit of time, the goalie is in position. Um, so that bothers me. The passes to nobody in particular with, for no apparent reason, no pressure provided. Those drive me crazy. And the third thing that irritates me to no end is when guys take themselves out of position 
to defend the puck, get to the player, and don't finish with a hit. You're there. You're there. Finish the check. But so many times they'll take themselves out of position, and instead of finishing a check, they bump the other guy, or they shove him, or they pull up short of him. Drives me crazy. Uh, question two. Certain road games, I noticed they will fly out after games to go to the next city. Wondering why they did that. Wouldn't it be more refreshing if they f- fly out first thing in the morning and got some rest? Logistics question. Uh, so, Chris, they always fly out after games with the exception if they're on the West Coast. It's an evening game, especially if they're in Canada. And that's because of the need to go through immigration. Um, so they would rather fly to the next city while they're still hepped up from the game. Keep in mind, them flying is a far different experience than you or I flying. Although, Chris, I don't know your, you may be a NetJets customer. I don't know your, your financial wherewithal. These guys, it's always a direct flight. Uh, it's always in the lap of luxury. So they go right after games and they're out of the building a half hour after the game's over. They are typically wheels up like an hour and 15 after the game's over. Uh, and so they're home. They get a night in their own bed. They practice the next day at noon if they're not off. Um, and they would rather have that coming back from a road trip. They'd rather have an extra day with their family. The only time they stay over is if it's in Canada. And by the time they did, they did uh, immigration processing uh, to get through the border, then it would be, you know, three, four or later in the morning. I was on a trip one time and I can't remember where we were coming back from, but we ended up doing immigration in Columbus after way after hours. And when we arrived there, the computer system had just started. Uh, it's overnight accounting refresh or whatever they called it. So the whole travel party, players, coaches, uh, trainers, media, everybody, TV folk, uh, plows into this room and a guy approaches and says, Hey, it's going to be a little time here. Our system just started refreshing. We don't know how long it's going to take. So this is like four in the morning, maybe four thirty. So at least an hour goes by. Maybe it was three thirty to four thirty, and people are starting to. The players are like laying down on their with using their travel bags as pillows and sleeping on the floor. And then they finally get it up. Um, I'm really condensing the story. They finally get it up, and then they start doing one person at a time. And the conversation is like this. Good evening. What's your name? Uh, Rick. Okay, last name? Nash. Okay. What were you doing in Canada? Um, I was was playing a hockey game for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Okay. Uh, When did you get there? Um, Okay. Uh, did you go to any of the other countries while you're there? No, no. Okay. Next up, uh, and you are, um, I'm Derek Broussard. Okay. And what were you doing in Canada? I'm with these guys too. Like the whole process was like incredibly maddening. Um, I don't think we got through until like five fifteen, and so th- those are the nights where they decide not to do immigration at night sometimes they still do if it's from a close place toronto maybe montreal ottawa other than that they usually try to 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 come home from canada at a more reasonable hour for for uh immigration safety um philip a says it seems pretty clear that if this team is to have any ceiling jenner cannot be a top six center any talk about him moving to the wing or Voronkov moving to center at this juncture, there's no way, Philip. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, Jenner's the only center over 50% on faceoffs. He is the stability up front. I get it. I know what you're saying. Um, I don't think that's a move that's being pondered at this time. Vronkov may end up in the middle eventually, but I, I think they're, they're delighted with the way this is going for him right now, and so just keep on keeping on. Um, and he may be a winger in the NHL at that size. That, that could just make sense. Um, Luke L says, has Yarmo's reputation around the NHL taken a hit in recent years with the team's performance in the Babcock hire? A few years back, he said, Bemstrom, Foodie, and Texier as three untouchable prospects. 
and now two have been waived. On a side note, the most embarrassing part of the Penguins game was the man selling pens, t-shirts, and towels in the Nationwide Plaza. Is that right? Was there really? Uh, um, you know what? I, I don't think so. I think NHL GMs, if you look around, all of these guys, look, it's a business. It's not a cut-and-dried business. Um, it is for us on the outside that can judge all of these moves. Um, but every GM's got a contract they want to move. Every GM's got a trade they wish they hadn't made. Every GM has draft picks that they totally blew. Um, that's just the way it is. I think Yarmo has good relationships across the league. I do. Um, I'm sure there are some people who raised an eyebrow when he hired Bab, uh, hired Babcock. What the hell is he thinking? Um, but there are also other people who think it was a great, great idea. So mixed bag. I don't think people look at him differently though. No. Where else has Coach Vincent employed his system? How do you reconcile the theory of taking away time and space versus passivity? Passivity doesn't seem to pass the eye test. This is from Mike Z. Yeah, certainly the system is not to be passive. Um, that is a flaw in the system. That may be a tendency of the system when it's not going well. They, they all have them. Um, to answer your question, he's employed... Uh, this is the system that, that uh, he and Babcock came up with over the summer. I think it's similar to what he's employed in uh, previous stops, Manitoba AHL, and had some success. Um, I don't think the system is faulty. I think uh, the application of it uh, takes time because it's got to, as a, we've said, it's got to become a habit forming, not just think and do. It's got to be just do. Um, uh, we'll go back to the stage momentarily for Alex L. Take a couple more here in the text field. Hey, Aaron, I've seen a lot of fans talking about expectations for this team online, and they expect playoffs. To me, as long as we are competitive in these games, I will take that. I also would be happy with 80 points. Should I expect more, or are my expectations realistic? Well, Alex, I, I think 80 is the number to strive for, especially now when you're off to a to a four, eight, and four start. Um, you know, 80 points doesn't get you near the playoffs, but it gives you a 21-point improvement over last year. I'll let people decide if they think that is enough. Um, you know, I, I think back to the start of training camp last year where we said to Brad Larson, what, what are you telling your guys about the playoffs? What do you think about the playoffs? And he said, playoffs. We want to win the Stanley Cup. And I remember thinking, wow, like, I don't know. I go both ways. You want players to have high expectations and to push themselves toward greatness. I get that. But I think you also have to be realistic. And this, I'm not going to say I know that this is not a playoff team because who knows what's going to happen in the the final 80% of the season. But it seems pretty far-fetched to me with all that they've got to sort out. And you know, when this started, this season started, it's funny the things that we really worried about. Can Elvis do it? Elvis has been pretty darn good. I'm not going to say he's been great. He's been pretty darn good. He's been much better than he was last year. He has not been an issue so far. I think most people thought if Elvis was fit that description, you'd have a pretty good team on your hands. Um, so it's a little, you know, they're wasting some Elvis performances here. Certainly the one in Madison Square Garden was a great game. Um, but there's so many other things that have, the power play, my God. Woof. Um, I know we love to blame the coach for the power play. But when six coaches in a row have like a 13 per point percentage point, I'm beginning to think it's not the coaches. I don't know about you. This, uh, this outfit's been a real letdown for them, the power play has, especially in that game on Tuesday where they just tied it up. They got a power play at 3-3. That would have been an immensely huge time to score a power play goal. And they don't. Um, I think they've got one in the last nine games. 
So um, you might get to 80 points, Andy. I hope you do. hope you didn't bet on it, but I hope you do. Uh, let's go back to the stage and talk to Matthew B. Matthew, you are on front and nationwide. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going, Porty? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Uh, so, like, after the despair of the Pens loss uh, the other night, I kind of just went down a deep hole. And Uh-oh. in uh, 2012, the McConnells sent a letter to the season ticket holders. And it's funny because you actually posted it on the dispatch. <laughs> and just reading this letter, it's just Groundhog's Day all over again. We're no, There's a line in there that says, our goal as an organization is to build a team that wins consistently and competes for the Stanley Cup. And I mean, we've had we had some definitely some ups over the last ten years, but I mean we're right back where I would say we were in twenty twelve. So I guess my question would be, what are do you think we'll hear again from the McConnells this year? Or and um do you if there is gonna be a change, I guess my kind of hesitation is why like why let Jarmo go through another trade deadline and try to figure out a path for this team if he's not going to be here. But, uh, yep, that's my question. Thanks. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks, Matthew. Yeah, the um, the McConnells don't typically like to make it a habit to be uh, involved in the day-to-day operations. They are. They don't want it to, to be issuing statements and weighing in on all this stuff. I will say this. And it's, it's, it's tough, I know. I hear from people all the time, this has been a terrible team for 23 years. Well, that's not fair. That's not true either. And I know some people, it's frustration talking, so you don't want to hear it, but pretty good run from 16, 17, 17, 18, 18, 19, 19, 20. Um, good enough? No. Uh, I'll leave that to you to decide. But they have not just been terrible the whole time. Um, and it's easy to say on the whole, they have been really bad and that's fair. They're, they have the worst record anybody in the league since they joined it. That's fair. That is fair. It's accurate. It's facts. Um, but I also think you get yourself into trouble if you don't recognize that teams try something, they build something. It runs its course. It doesn't work. They bring it down and they start building it up again. It's very rare for a team to go more than a generation of players with nothing but continued success. It does happen. But um, so what I'm saying is to uh, it is Groundhog's Day in a lot of way, a lot of ways, but there's been some stuff in between there that kind of Ruins the groundhog. <laughs> the groundhog's day uh, thought. It's not been like this every year. And this is a different iteration of the team. Um, if you remember, right, I'm not sure when that statement was issued, but there was that 12 13 season was delayed because of a lockout. And shortly into February, Scott Housen was fired for. Yarmouk Kekalainen in 2013. What I also think is interesting is when you go back to 12-13, there was one name you heard more than any other in Columbus the first two months of that season. Nathan McKinnon. That's what that season was about. John Davidson fired Scott Housen, hired Yarmouk Kekalainen, and they were in full-on McKinnon mode. And they didn't think they needed to do a damn thing to make that happen either, to get a good shot at McKinnon. They thought they were one of the worst teams in the league. And then they went on an unbelievable run at the end of that season. If you remember, something like 17-1-1 or something stupid. And they missed the playoffs on the last day. Then they thought they were a good team. The next year, they made the playoffs. They thought they were a good team. And then 15-16... 16, 17, not good. And then John Tortorella took over and things started to slowly change. Um, They've never really had a good read on where they're going and when they're going to get there. Um, And that's understandable to some extent because so much of this is 
based upon player development. That's such a hard thing to predict. But uh, the, the old thing, the old line about over-promise and under-deliver, I think it's so important in sports. And they've gotten into the bad habit of over-promising. Um, so that's what I would say to that. Let's go back. we got a time for a few more questions. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Um, Austin H. says, what are the chances the CBJ make a big trade or move in order to shake up the locker room? Um, I think Yarmo's trying to make a trade. He hasn't made a trade. That's, to me, one of the issues that's going on here with all the scratches and the weird lineups and stuff. It's just too crowded. Just make a move. Just make a move. Uh, Nick W. says, am I crazy to think this team is maddeningly close to competing and being good based on what we've seen so far this season? I get the sense that they're right on the cusp. This season is a wash from a points perspective, but I feel like they're going to end the year as a well-oiled machine ready to do some damage next year. Nick, I I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think they are far away. I I don't. I think it's uh it's definitely maddening. I agree with you on that as well. Um it's incredibly inconsistent, but it is not without talent. And yes, I, I agree with everything you said there. Yeah. Um Bradford H says it's so depressing to know that we signed Severson for seven years to appease Babcock. He's supposed to be a solid two-way defenseman that occasionally makes big mistakes. It seems that every game he is making simple unforced errors. His play on odd man rushes is particularly brutal. How is this game not under more scrutiny? Is this who he is? I can't imagine this was his normal in New Jersey. Um, he has been a high-risk, high-reward player. I think they're, they've always tried to get that out of his game, and I think he is pressing here in Columbus because of that contract and that expectation. Um, yeah, so um, we talked uh, and scrutinized Severson when he was benched by Vincent early in the season. You'll get more of that. He has played with Provorov of late, not Wierenski. Wierenski's now with Good Branson. So the back end is is in as much upheaval as the front end is, apparently. See if uh, Juracek keeps his his spot. Um, Bobby B says, you hear all the time the NHL is not a development league. Yeah, you hear that, but it is not true. Why are the CBJ trying to do that, then? You have young guys that have shown to be some of our top young players, yet they are shielding them with limited ice time, not putting them out. In the last five minutes of games, we blow, etc. To me, they are doing this wrong. You have two better options. Either send them to Cleveland to play them all the minutes or do something like Anaheim and sit Fantilli, Juracek, and whoever else, third game, however you want it. But when they play, they are top line. Uh, I'm with you a bit, Bobby. I think you need to recognize if these guys are NHL players, then put them in the lineup and live with some of the mistakes. As long as you don't see them uh, making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Have a plan. That's all we've really requested. I think that's all fans really request. Have a plan. And adhere to that plan. And show me the fruits of that plan in good time. And then team, then people second-guess you less. Uh, James H, James M says, have you heard any rumors about a Jeff Rimmer replacement? I have not. I think in deference to Rims, that's being you know kept on the down low if they're even doing anything on it yet. You wonder if Bob McGilligan may switch over to the TV side. That sometimes is an interest of, of uh, radio broadcasters. We shall see. Uh, Paul B says, Portia, this may have been addressed, but curious if CBG are making one or two consistent mistakes leading to losses. Or different mistakes each night, in your opinion. I think it's different stuff all the time, uh, Paul. I think I think it's uh, Provorov's turnover one night. It's the faceoff win loss late in your own zone. It's the third period approach against the Rangers. It's been a doozy so far. Um, John Joe S says. I hear a lot about the systems. What exactly is our system? It doesn't seem to be working, whatever it is. 
Two, at what point do we look at ownership for the shortcomings in the CBJ? They're the one constant in the franchise's history and have had little success in 23 years. They seem to be one of the most silent ownership groups in the NHL. Seeing the new valuations of teams, $880 million, will they never sell the team? Do you think we could benefit from new ownership? Um, you look, I, yeah, again, this, we, this topic comes up frequently. Um, I don't pretend to know what a good owner does. I know what a bad owner does. And I know that McConnell does a lot of the things that people say they want from an owner. He writes the checks. He hires hockey people and he gets the hell out of the way and he wants them to do the job. Um, now, if, if you want that owner to put more pressure on the people beneath him, maybe that is an issue that he's not constantly meeting with them and holding them to task. I'm not sure that works. Only one team wins the cup each year. I get it. Um, coming up on 30 years for Columbus here, 23. They're out right now. Um, when is their turn? Uh, I don't think my sense is that McConnell is not interested in selling the Blue Jackets at this point. I don't think he needs the money. Imagine not needing $880 million. That'd be great. Um, but I, I don't get a sense that that's going to change um, anytime soon.